Good evening, ladies. So great to see your happy faces again. Hello, ladies out there in uh, cyber world. <laughs> we would love to, can't wait to see everybody back, amen. All right, tonight we begin our first Women of the Bible, and tonight we have Deborah. And, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to do this this study is because, you know, there's so many myths out there on what women can and can't do in the church, what are our limitations, that kind of thing. In fact, in some circles, you know, they would say that women are inferior, boo, boo, but um, also we're inferior in intelligence, wisdom, emotional makeup. Yeah, we can be a little emotional from time to time, but you know what? God created us for a reason, right? But, uh, you know, and depending on who you talk to, uh, the list can go on and on. And this year, I hope to explore all the many ways that the Bible tells us that this is a false narrative. Women can be used. And there are so many examples in the Word of God of exactly that. Women being used by God in extraordinary ways. And these are stories of strength, humility, and sometimes it does show just how fragile we can be. But you know what? Our strength is always in the Lord. Amen. And they understood, each one of these ladies that we're going to be studying this year, they all understood that their strength came from the Lord and no one else. And so before we get into God's Word and the story of Deborah, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so blessed to be able to uh, sit at your feet and to focus on your word, Lord, and all the many uh, things that you want to teach us through this life of Deborah, this amazing woman that you called to be a judge and a prophet. And so as we go through this, Lord, would you speak to each one of us individually that we would be able to pull something out that would strengthen our resolve to want to serve you better. And so we love you, Lord. We thank you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to be pulling our our, our scripture out of Judges 4, and we're going to begin in verse 1. And let's do a little background. Uh, the book of Judges is a history book, kind of, of the Old Testament. And it not only contains history, but it also tells us exactly how the, the children of Israel would trust God, and then they would kind of fall back in their own ways, either old ways, and not trust God. And this, they fluctuated back and forth and back and forth. But the book of Judges contains a history of about 300 years when Israel had no king. So this was before David, before King Saul, before Solomon, all of these guys. And so they had no leader or king, so to speak. So the Lord sent judges to look over the people. And these judges were not like the judges that you're thinking about today. We're in the middle of a Supreme Court justice, you know, hearings and all that kind of stuff. We're not talking about judges like that, although they will have to uh, judge between arguments and disputes and that kind of thing. But they, they were so much more. They were actually leaders within uh, the, the children of Israel. And they were trying to keep them on track because all through uh, the book of Judges, you'll see, and the people did 
evil in the sight of the Lord. And then they get captured. And we kind of went over this in Nehemiah, if you will remember, where, you know, every time they would disobey God and they would follow after false gods, then God would allow them to be captured. And then they would cry out to the God, to God. And because God is so gracious and full of mercy, he would always answer their call and he would do something for them. So what we would have is a judge, and then he would live out his life, and then he would die. And it's like the people almost immediately would fall back into their old ways. They'd be captured, and then they would cry out to God. God would send a judge to help them get through their lives. And so the beginning of our scripture today, he talks about Ehud. Now, he was one such judge, as was Deborah. And so verse 1 of our text says, After Ehud's death, the Israelites again did evil in the Lord's sight. Can you guys hear that loud ping? Okay, thank you. Um, so who is this Ehud other than a judge? Well, it was during a time when the people were once again doing evil in the sight of the Lord. They were captured by the Canaanites. They cried out to God. God sent them Ehud. Ehud was quite a remarkable guy. He was a great leader. He got the people back on uh, track, and he ruled over the people. And now Ehud has died. And so what happened? The people did e evil in the sight of the Lord again. And so... What does that mean exactly when it says they did evil in the sight of the Lord? Well, it basically is apostasy. In other words, I don't care what God thinks. I don't care what his law says. I don't care what the word says. They just say, I don't care. You know, and we get this sometimes. Have you ever talked to someone and they, oh, thank you. <laughs> Can you still hear me? Yeah. Yay! All right. So anyway, um, where was I? Okay, we we're talking about apostasy. And that's when you are told that, I mean, you just kind of have this attitude in your heart that you don't care what God's word says. And we run across people like that, haven't we? And they're so frustrating. And yet it also grieves our heart because you know what God's word says. You know what they're doing is actually directing them away from God. And you try to tell them, God's word says don't do this because then this is going to happen. You'll fall into sin, which leads to death and all sorts of bad things. But they go, you know what? I don't care. I don't care what the word says. You know, I don't know if I even believe in God anymore. Well, this is what the children of Israel would do. And so that lead, leads to evil. That actually live, uh, leads to them actually getting worse and worse in their sin. And now there wasn't a judge looking after them, and so they fell back into their evil ways. Verse 2, so the Lord turned them over to King Jabin of Hazor, a Canaanite king. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harosheth Hagoyim. <laughs> Boy, I bet I couldn't say that. Four, four times, my goodness. Um, anyway, um, Jabin was kind of a name given to all of the ru rulers in Canaan. And there's many records of Jabin's, but this one happened to be on the scene in about 1200 BC. And the book of Judges, chapter 4, Jabin was noted as a very 
cruel ruler and his general, Sassera, used to ride around um, and, and torment the people. He was, the, of course, the army's commander, and he was kind of a tyrant. And verse 3 says, Sassera, who had 900 iron chariots, ruthlessly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. And so they had these iron chariots, and there's some uh, hieroglyphs and things that you can look at kind of what these Canaanite things look like. And uh, the, the pictures that I was looking at was these two guys. One was driving a chariot, and the, the, another Canaanite had a bow, and they were actually running over the children of Israel. And so this is the kind of tyrant he was. And these people were, um, the Israelite people were being really oppressed by this guy. And they cried out to the Lord, and of course, what did the Lord do? He, he answered, and he showed mercy, and he sent them Deborah. Verse 4 says, Deborah, the wife of Lapidoth, was a prophet who was judging Israel at the time. So this is amazing. The fact that a woman would be a judge, basically a leader over the nation of Israel, is a remarkable thing. First time ever recorded in the Old Testament that a woman would be ruling over Israel. And I mean, it doesn't happen even in modern times if you go to Israel. They don't have women rulers there. But back then, you can imagine, I mean, things were really backwards back then. I can't even imagine them actually having a woman, but they did. It says it here. And so we've already determined what a judge is, what a, the responsibilities of the judge is, but she was also a prophet. So what is a prophet? Well, technically, it's a person chosen to speak for God and to guide the people of Israel. In other words, they are God's mouthpiece. And so Deborah was one such person. She was called to be the mouthpiece of God. God would speak into her life. Her job was to say to the people what God had told her. And so it also mentions her husband kind of sort of in passing, like he's not really a big deal. And then there's no more mention of him. I mean, he didn't seem to be involved in politics at all and so, or government. And so she was basically on her own here. And she was ruling over the nation of Israel. Then verse 5, it says, She would sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites would go to her for judgment. So she would sit under this palm tree. Now, mind you, this in, in case you're running out to the, the local nursery, there isn't such thing as a palm of Deborah. Sorry. Um, I know I wanted to buy one. Oh, that sounds really cool, you know. But no, actually, it's kind of like if you had a favorite tree and you'd go sit underneath your tree and you kind of claim that as your space, you know, that's kind of the same thing. So, you know, I have... Uh, uh, some palm trees in my backyard and I've got a, a king palm that I really like and I usually sit underneath it and you know in my little patio chairs and stuff and I could call this you know Connie's palm tree you know so it's kind of the same thing this was just a place where she would go and people knew that she would always be under her palm tree and whenever they needed some kind of ruling or judgment or they needed advice or she needed to judge over something they would go to Deborah's palm and she would usually be sitting there. Now, most of the time, the, the prophets and the judges would sit at the city gates. That was a common practice. We even saw that in the Old, uh, New Testament. 
but um, what would happen is the, the judges would sit outside the city gates. That's where everybody knew these guys would be. And that's where the prophets would go. That's where if the king needed to make an announcement, that's where they would go. And so the people would gather at the city gates. Well, I think Deborah sitting underneath the palm tree, it was probably cooler. So I think she was just a little more practical than the menfolk, right? So anyway, uh, she would sit under this tree and judge the, the Israelites. Then verse 6 says, one day she sent for Barak, son of Abinium, who lived in Kadesh in the land of Nephthali. And she said to him, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you. Call out 10,000 warriors from the tribes of Nephthali and Zebulun at Mount Tabor. So these places are in northern Israel and Mount Tabor uh, was a mountain in the area that was known as a, uh, a good gathering place. You would go up this mountain and there was kind of a plateau on the top where they could stage an army. And so, but who was this Barak guy? Well, his name meant lightning. And that was very appropriate because he was the military commander. And Nephthalim and, no, excuse me, Nepth, I can never say these words, Nephthali and Zebulun are two of the original tribes of Israel. So they're of the original 12 tribes. And they were, of course, located in northern Jerusalem, and they were to gather their armies, go to Mount Tabor, and God had given Deborah the battle plan. Verse 7, it says, And I will call out Sisera, he, the commander of Jabin's army, along with his chariots and warriors, to the Kishon River. There I will give you victory over him. Now, note, is Deborah saying, I will give you victory over them? Or is she, remember, she's the mouthpiece. So she's saying, God will give you victory over the Canaanites. So interesting thing, though, about the Kishon River, it's located in the Jezreel Valley. And if you've traveled to Israel at all, uh, that is one of our stops on our tours because that is where the Battle of Armageddon is going to take place. It is a very flat valley surrounded by mountains. And if you can actually say this, it's the perfect place for a battle. And so it's kind of interesting that this particular battle is being fought there also. And she tells Barak to go into battle with this scary guy named Sisera. And it says, and I will give him victory. I will give the children of Israel victory. I will give the commander of Israel victory. And remember, she's not bragging about herself. She's saying, God will do this for you. I will give you the victory. She's his mouthpiece. So verse 8 says, Barak told her, I will go, but only if you go with me. What a chicken. <laughs> so <laughs> he just doesn't get it, does he? Um, it is God that's going to go before him, regardless if Deborah goes or not. And so here's her response. You can just kind of see her being a little snarky with him. Verse 9, very well, she replies, I will go with you, but you will receive no honor in this venture. In other words, this isn't going to be your victory. For the Lord's victory over Sisera will be at the hands of a woman. Oh, snap. 
right? So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. Like she says, okay, I'll go with you up to northern Israel. We'll gather the armies. We'll meet at Mount Tabor and we'll stage, um, you know, get everything ready to, to do our attack on this Sisera guy. But I really feel for Barak. You know, he's really missing out, isn't he? Uh, the, the great opportunity to see God work. He got to have like a front row seat, and yet he's too afraid. He goes, no, I can't do this by myself. You have to go with us, Deborah. You have to go with me. I guess maybe he figured, you know, if Deborah's going, then God's not going to um, uh, abandon them or something. I don't know, but it was an opportunity for him to strengthen his faith in God. But instead, he had faith in a person, didn't he? He had faith in Deborah. He didn't have faith in his God. He thought he would have victory because Deborah was with him, not because God was with him. And there's not going to be any honor for him in this battle. Instead, it goes to a woman. So Deborah goes with him uh, up to the northern area, and they gather their army. Verse 10 says, At Kadesh, Barak called together the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali, and 10,000 warriors went up with him. Deborah also went with him. So she kept her word, she traveled with him, and now she was about ready to go into battle. And we're going to skip down to verse 14 now. It tells us what happened. Then Deborah said to Barak, get ready. This is the day the Lord will give you victory over Sisera, for the Lord is marching ahead of you. Isn't that wonderful? Doesn't he do that today? He goes before us. He's marching ahead of us. Kind of like, you know, always having that big brother plowing the way for us. He says, so Barak led his 10,000 warriors down the slopes of Mount Tabor into battle. When Barak attacked, the Lord threw Sisera and all his chariots and warriors into a panic. See, he had a plan all along. Sisera leaped down from his chariot and escaped on foot. Now, he who's the chicken now? And then Barak chased the chariots and the enemy army all the way to Herosheth Hargoyim, killing all of Sisera's warriors, not a single one was left alive. So that is the story of Deborah. And she's mentioned several times in chapter 4 and 5, if you want to read the complete story. But this was her, one of her most magnificent events, where she trusted in the Lord, and he led uh, the children of Israel into victory. And she's known as the mother for Israel because of her wise ways and the life that she led. So what can we take away from this? What example can we learn from Deborah? I saw three main things. The first one was how to develop a good reputation. And that's what she had. She had a wonderful reputation, didn't she? Uh, Deborah, through her faith in God, became a respected woman among the Israelites. I mean, think about it. A mighty warrior named Barak wouldn't go into battle without her. So she must have been pretty amazing. He trusted her, although he should have trusted in God, but we'll discuss that in a moment. But he trusted her, her reputation. So how does someone gain such respect? Well, I think the Bible does tell us a lot about that. And it says in his word in Romans 12:10, it says, one way to find respect, love one another with brotherly or sisterly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. So that tells us we honor other people. If you want to have honor brought back to you, but that shouldn't be your motivation, but you know, you show honor to other people, 
you will receive that in return. Then 1 Peter 2.17 tells us, respect everyone and love your Christian brothers and sisters. Fear God, respect the king. Again, respect others and you will receive that respect. Love your brothers and sisters and you will receive love. And then it says, fear God, because uh, that, that is the way we learn to obey him, isn't it? And respect the king. Perhaps Barak didn't truly fear God. That's why he didn't trust him. Perhaps it really doesn't go much into him, but I think he learned the lesson at the end of the story and we'll go there in a minute. But Titus 2, 7 and 8 says, show yourself in all respects to be a model, model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Isn't that wonderful? So what can we learn there? You know, we just need to be a model. By our example, we can show how much we trust God because people don't look at your words, do they? They look at your actions. And so it's saying here, do these things don't just say these things. You know, there's an old saying also that respect must be earned, not taken. And that certainly seems to be what the word is telling us. So a key component of these verses is that in order to be, to earn the respect, to be a godly example to the world, remember, number one, it's not about you. It's all about God. That's step number one. And then we must live by example and then we must love others. That is so important. And if we do these three things, we will be well-pleasing to God. And God will be able to use us as he used Deborah. If we don't do these things, then God's going to be hindered working through us because we will make it all about us, won't we? And so God doesn't share honor with anyone. So our next lesson that we learned in our story is don't miss out on God's blessing. You see, Barak missed out on the blessing because he thought the power was in a person, not God. Isn't that sad? Um, that's a common problem here in the church. Even today, we have that problem. People put their faith in a leader, a pastor, a musician, an author. As great as all these people may be, we cannot put our faith in them. We have to put our faith in God. Amen? And so, why not look to people? Well, the Bible says something about us. We are all the human race, and we all have our shortcomings. Amen? Jeremiah 17, 9 tells us, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's what the Word of God says about us. So why would we want to follow someone whose heart is deceitful above all things? I don't think that's a very good idea. We need to make sure that we're following God. God can use leaders, absolutely, just like he used Deborah. And she knew what she was talking about because she trusted in God. And I think Barak understood that. He just didn't have the faith in God that Deborah had. Otherwise, he would have gone into battle saying, yay, great, you know, I know God's going to go before me. You know, Deborah, you just sit underneath your palm tree and relax. But that didn't happen. Then Romans 5.12, what does that tell us? Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spreads to all men because all sinned. We all sin. None of us is perfect. You know, they say when you put somebody on a pedestal, what happens? They can only go one way, down. So be careful. 
Romans 7.18 tells, tells us, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. That is what Paul the Apostle said. So I'm thinking if Paul will say that about himself, one of the greatest Christians that ever lived, if he says that about himself, I think we can safely assume that we shouldn't put our trust in any of these guys only unless God is working through them. And you need to use your discernment there. But I think we get the picture. People are bad and we shouldn't put our trust in them because we make mistakes, don't we? We're always blowing it. We always come up short. But God is so merciful and he uses us in spite of us. But the only way people can be good, though, is through the work of Jesus Christ in our lives. You know, and I want to give you encouragement there. You might be thinking, oh, well, why do I even try? You know, there's nothing good in me. You're right. But you know what? We have the Holy Spirit living within us, don't we? And so because we have the Holy Spirit in us, Deborah didn't have that, but we do. She had to depend on God speaking directly to her. She didn't have the benefit of the Holy Spirit indwelling in her. She wasn't the temple of the Holy Spirit, but we do. And so we have the help of the Holy Spirit guiding and directing us to do the will of God so that, you know, we can be trusted to lead others in the way of the Lord. But Barak had missed out on that opportunity for God to use him in such an extraordinary way because he looked to people and he missed out on the blessing of being used by God. And it truly is a blessing to be used. I love being used by God. I mean, I thrive on it. It's kind of where I get my, my energy from. And so Barak, he, he lacked faith and he was afraid of that scary Canaanite general. But God had already taken care of it, didn't he? He had a plan. He always has a plan. You remember what Jeremiah 29 11 tells us, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. What are his thoughts? Thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give us a future and a hope. Allow God to use you, and that will bring us to our third lesson that I found here. And that is, let yourself be used by God no matter what people say. This is so important. Following God can sometimes be difficult to navigate because there is always opposition, always seems to be opposition. And I found uh, three primary ways. It's we have an enemy that is always opposing us. We have others who oppose us. And we have ourselves that sometimes oppose us, believe it or not. And we'll first look at the enemy, which can be daunting because we have a very scary adversary. I mean, much worse than a scary Canaanite general. But let's look at what the word says about that. Ephesians 6, 11 and 12. It says, put on all of God's armor so that you can be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. You need to put your armor on, ladies. It's so important. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Yikes, that kind of sounds scary, doesn't it? But what does 1 John 4, 4 tell us? You are of God, little children. We are God's children and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So our God is greater than anybody. He's greater than a Canaanite general. He's scarier than the king of the Canaanites. He, he's, 
He's more powerful than any of the, uh, the minions of the enemy. So just remember that. Uh, but this is a difficult truth to hold on to if we're going to be a good disciple of God, isn't it? It's easier to say these things, but we're, while we're in the midst of it, sometimes that can get very, very scary. But there is power in his name, and we must not do this on our own. We must not. And so the next opposition we are going to look at is people. People can sometimes discourage us from following after God. And that can come from friends, family, co-workers, anybody that can discourage us. And they are powerful, aren't they? We like to be liked. And so this can really uh, get us going here. Galatians 1.10, however, it tells us, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Ooh, ouch. Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So in other words, it's saying, don't worry about what other people are, are saying about it. If God calls you to do something, you need to be doing what God calls you to do. Because it says here, we must please God, not please others. Deborah became who she was because she did not care what others thought. She obeyed God and him alone. She cared what he thought. She cared what he said. And that's the example that we need to hold on to. And we must not make light of this because it is very hard to do. But do it, we must. Um, if we don't, then we miss out on the wonderful plan that God has for us. God had a wonderful plan for Barak. He goes, I'm going to let you be the commander of the Lord's army, and you're going to lead him to victory. And he's going, I'm scared. Can the woman come with me? And it's like, Oh, you know, you can just see God going, Barack, Barack, Barack. Don't you know that it wasn't her, but it was me that's going before you? So don't forget that. So this, this whole story seems to be like a tale of two people. We have the faithful and the faithless. The faithful one, Deborah, allowed God to do what he wanted to do through her. She sought no glory on her own. And because of that, God poured out his blessings upon her. And she thrived, thrived in an area where men were the norm. And because of that, God poured his spirit in her. And she obeyed God at all costs. And because of that, she was able to do extraordinary things. But the faithless one, Barak, he didn't believe God's word. And another received the blessing that should have gone to him. He didn't trust God. And another got the blessing that was meant for him. So you see, he was tested and he was found wanting and his lack of faith was his sin in this case. He didn't trust God. James 1, 12 through, 4, 12 through 18 tells us, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. He blesses us. I don't know who patiently endure testing and temptation, Sometimes it doesn't feel like a blessing, does it? But it is, and we need to perhaps change our attitudes. I know for me, I go, oh, another test. Oh, no, Lord. But it says here, God blesses. So we should be going, yay, another test, <laughs> another temptation. Woohoo! You know, anyway, afterwards, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Now, okay, that doesn't sound so bad. 
And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempting to do wrong. He never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. Now, these desires can be all sorts of things, can't they? I mean, they can be fear, they can be sin, lust for power, all sorts of things. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it brings it gives birth to death. So don't be misled, dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect comes down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word, and we, out of all creation, become his prized possession. Okay, so that doesn't sound so bad, does it? But we will endure testing and temptation but we are going to be blessed did Barak blow it of course he did but I would like to believe that he learned his lesson when God delivered when he saw the amazing thing that God did on that battlefield I'd like to believe he he got a change of attitude and judges gives us a little bit of a hint if you want to follow along it's found in judges 5 Chapter 5, just flip the page, and it's a praise song. And this is amazing. It says, on that day, Deborah and Barak, so they're singing together, son of uh, Biniom, sang this song. So Deborah and Barak, they, they got together as a worship team, and they sang this song. Israel's leaders took charge. And the people gladly followed. Praise the Lord. Listen, you kings. Pay attention, you mighty rulers. For I will sing to the Lord. I will make music to the Lord, the God of Israel. Lord, when you set out from Sarian, marched across the fields of Edom, the earth trembled and the cloudy skies poured down rain. The mountains quaked in the presence of the Lord, the God of Mount Sinai, in the presence of the Lord, the God of Israel. Wow, so he's going, okay, I get it. God, you're pretty powerful. So he was singing this song. So he learned his lesson, didn't he? So yay. So remember, when it seems like the task the Lord has given you just seems too big, remember it's all about him. It's not about us. He's got a plan. It's not us to ask what the plan is. Just do what he asks us to do. And when everyone is telling you it can't be done, remember, God can still do it. Just keep your eyes focused on the Lord. I will leave you with Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and, not, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. So what does that tell us? We need to trust in the Lord. Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't lean on yourself. You know, there's a lot of smart people in this room, and sometimes we can depend on our own uh, intelligence. That's a bad idea because God is so much smarter than us. And then recognize that he is God and we are not, obviously. And if we do these three things, he promises to, do, to direct your path. That's a wonderful thing. I want God to direct my path. I mean, it's a scary thing to navigate this world, isn't it? So if we trust in him with all our heart, he will direct your paths. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we do. We do want to trust in you in all things, but we are weak. 
Father, we are no different than the children of Israel, just easily pulled away from the world, from you and into the world. And so we would ask, Lord, that you keep us strong, that we would depend on your strength in everything we do. Father, we want to be like Deborah, to be faithful. We don't want to be like Barak and be unfaithful and miss out on your amazing blessings. And so as we go through our study questions, would you just open up your word to us, Lord? Would you make it come alive? Would you strengthen our resolve to be more and more like you, follow after you more? Father, we do need so much more of you and less of us. And so we love you, Lord. We praise you. We thank you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.